Welcome to the Time Lords Podcast. We go beyond the buzzwords to learn exactly how people are building the industrial internet of things and using time series data to transform their businesses. I'm your host, Lonnie Bowling. Today, I'm excited to be joined by guest Kai Weiner, enterprise architect and global field engineer for Confluent. Hi, Kai. Welcome to the show. Hey, nice to meet you. Great to be here. Yeah, so for uh, for those that don't know you, um, can you uh, introduce yourself and tell tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, as my title says, I'm really working globally with customers about their technical challenges. Um, and the interesting thing is really that I work a lot, a lot in the field of IoT and specifically also industrial IoT mm -hmm. because we have really customers all over the world um, which have huge challenges processing big data sets in real time, what we will talk about later. And therefore, I typically also travel across the globe to customers in many industries regarding automotive, manufacturing, and so on um, to solve their problems and help them with the right architectures. And that's in the end what I really focus on all the time. And therefore, um, I would say typically 70% of the work is really with customers and really inter interesting projects. And the other 30% is like these things like blog posts and doing podcasts and writing about the things I do because so I, more people can learn from it. And so that's really what I enjoy and what I, I do every day. Yeah, well, um, I really appreciate the the information that you've been putting out on your blog posts and in your, on your YouTube channel. I've been uh, reading a lot of that. Uh, trying to figure out, you know, in industrial IoT, where are we going in the future? What is this technology looking like? And that's how I, I, I stumbled up, uh, upon you, um, looking at some of this technology. And I was just really um, impressed with the level of detail that you had and the, and the insights that you had. So I'm really, really happy that you're on the show today. Yeah, and, and I, I think it really makes a lot of sense because, I, as I said before, um, I'm really working on um, the cutting edge technologies since the university for 10 years now, big data, real time streaming, machine learning. Yeah. Um, but actually 10 years ago, that was more like from the tech companies in Silicon Valley, but now it's coming over to the industrial IoT. And that's, I think, what we will cover today. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, so the, yeah, the industrial IoT world, which, you know, it hasn't even been called that for very long. I've been, been in this space for a long time. And we were talking before the show about how we're kind of coming at it from different ends here. You're coming for more like the big data enterprise level. And I came from more like a plant full floor. So this is a, this will be a fun discussion. Um, so as I was mentioning to you earlier that, uh, looking at a lot of this technology that, that, um, is, is kind of getting mentioned in these architecture, these enterprise architecture, how, what are people, how, how are they getting the data off of the plant floor, out of these manufacturing uh, facilities and into uh, these platforms where all this cool stuff can happen. And in the past, there's been, a, uh, there's been certain, um, I guess, architectures that have been used with what I would almost term as that's being referred to as legacy software. Some of these uh, older historians, uh, data historians and things like that, a lot of that uh, uh, I found that companies are not super interested in necessarily using that for their future uh, platform. Platform. So I'm always okay. Well, what are we gonna What are we gonna use next? What's coming down the road? So, uh, so you're doing some interesting stuff with some technology, and uh, and one that I kept coming across and reading all this stuff was Kafka and uh, Apache Kafka, an open source project. And I know that you are a, a, an expert on that and you're specifically an expert on it around IoT and then industrial IoT. So do you wanna just, uh, for, for those that don't really know what, uh, what that is, um, can you maybe just give us a quick summary and then we'll dive into you know why it's important and why, why does this matter? 
Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So maybe let's even start before we talk about technology okay. on the high-level problems with um, which these these customers have, because on the one side, they have to process more data. So the, the, the big term, the buzzword is big data, right? So right. I mean, the more the machines have more and more sensors, they generate more data and you have to process it. And um, the second challenge is typically that um, you want to process data in real time. Um, that can be many different things like milliseconds or seconds or even minutes. Um, but often it's too late if you process data overnight in a batch process. So um, real time is a big requirement. And um, with real time and big data in mind, um, the other big problem is that companies have to be more agile. So um, the reality is that it's not working anymore that you build a factory for 30 years and then run it and don't change it anymore and be offline and only on very old servers which don't mm -hmm. get security updates against cybersecurity. And this is the main challenges like scalability and real time and agility at the same time. And that's right. in the end um, why so many people come to me when I talk about event streaming with Kafka, because that is actually an open source technology which was built around 10 years ago in the Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. um, first um, built by LinkedIn, so for themselves, but then they open sourced it under a very um, free Apache license so that everybody can use it for free and change it and so on. And then all the tech companies adjusted it and needed it. And um, after that, that, however, now um, more and more enterprises from any industry use it. And one of them, no surprise, is industrial IoT, because here it's a perfect fit and to complement the existing deployments. So this is really important from the beginning. When we talk about these new te technologies today, it's not necessarily replacing all the existing stuff because it's not greenfield where you start in a factory. Right. <laughs> Therefore, um, we work much more on the integration parts between all these, what you call legacy, which is the proprietary protocols from all these vendors, and on the other side, the more open and agile and scalable technologies, um, some in the factory and some others in the cloud. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of my customers are talking about cloud first, and they they want to uh, they want to have some kind of cloud architecture. They want to have uh, some you know uh, uh, data analytics platform that they can do uh, do you know machine learning projects off of, for instance. Um, also, the real time aspects is important for for just uh, uh, doing. Uh, dashboards or whatever. Um, so, so the I guess the the challenge the challenge around that you mentioned some great areas here that we could re really talk about. But you know where where I see uh, you know uh, I guess a big a big challenge is how how do we you know connect down to the plant floor in a in a way that's going to make sense. And then what what is that what is that whole architecture going to look like? How how is that data going to be? Uh, moved into the cloud. Where does it where does it uh, end up when it's in the cloud? And um, so, what what part of what part of this uh, architecture or whatever would Kafka play? Um, yeah, um, th that's a very valid question. And the funny thing is that, I mean, of course, everybody has a cloud first strategy for different mm -hmm. reasons. But um, the funny thing is that in industrial IoT, um, the strategy is very different from most other industries. So if I go to a bank or an insurance company, they implement all the new applications in the cloud and they scale it and um, are elastic and connect to millions of users, depending on the use case. But in industrial IoT, it's different because here you still have these factories and the tangible things, right? The machines and you produce something. And therefore, in industrial IoT, in almost all of these cases, it's a hybrid story. So it's that, um, yes, you have a cloud-first strategy for new business applications, like mm -hmm. for customer relationship management or for doing real-time analytics on historical data. But actually, um, for really processing um, the data on the production line and producing things with the sensors, that's still happening at the edge. And therefore, in industrial IoT, most of the architectures we see are hybrid, and therefore Kafka is actually really used in both scenarios because Kafka 
what they, what Kafka is doing very well, it's continuously um, processing a lot of high volume of data in real time. And this can be done either at the edge in the factory or mm -hmm. it can be done in the cloud, but it can also be used for the replication between the factories and the cloud. And therefore it's typically a deployment in the factory and in the cloud and the replication in both directions. And therefore, this is actually one of the main reasons why people use Kafka, because um, what, what especially in industrial IoT, the customers already know, um, at the edge, you have all these proprietary protocols, which are horrible to use and not scalable. Right. And um, the same might come up if you go to one cloud provider, because there again, you have um, great services, but they are proprietary and you have to do what the, the, the cloud provider tells you. And therefore, what actually the customers do with us is they use one open source technology, which they can run in the factory and in different clouds or data centers. Mm -hmm. And they're open and flexible and not forced to uh, be, be used by just one vendor, for example. But still, and that's the second part, um, Kafka is not just there for data processing, but also for data integration. And therefore, um, with its connectivity tools, um, we can also connect to the legacy world, which might be a mainframe in the bank, or which might be the PLCs or an IoT gateway in a factory. But also on the other side to all the big data analytics tools and CRM and like Salesforce in the cloud. And that's where Kafka is this thing in the middle at scale in real time to integrate and process the data. Yeah, I was uh, I was really, really impressed with uh, doing doing, um, you know, learning about the technology a little bit and going through some very basic uh, videos on the fundamentals of Kafka. And and I was just, uh, you know, it, it was it was it's pretty impressive because it's not. To me, it doesn't seem like it's that complicated. Um, the the actual technology when you're when you're learning it, I'm sure it's you know there's as you get more and more advanced and you get into more uh, advanced situ or different scenarios, it can become more complex. But but fundamentally, it seemed like it was pretty relatively straightforward um, to to learn the basics. And uh, and so how are you? You know, there's 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 always this thing where Okay, there's there's like okay, you could go through and learn basics around how the technology works, like with Kafka, but then there's but then there's like the really like how are we going to use it in the real world? Um, you know, what does a real world uh, use look like? Like I know like some of the uh, challenges around Kafka has to do with like management of you know management of the of of the um, the cluster. There's I mean there's different terms with with Kafka, right? But but you have these deployments and you have these configurations. And then you have to be able to manage that, and there's and you could do it manually, which people don't do apparently. But uh, but there but there's uh, so how so how are you seeing it? Um, you know, I guess. Well, first of all, you know, are you seeing it used much on the you know in these industrial IoT situations? And when you do see it used, you know, how are people approaching? Uh, you know, being able to leverage that because you know it, it makes so much sense to use it if you look at what it does. Uh, all this event streaming and processing, uh, it it totally makes sense, right, to use it in the situation, um, and and that's like obvious. But I'm really curious, like, what? Okay, what what would you do if you're gonna sit down and say, okay, we want to use this stuff. We don't really understand what it is. We we just looked at it. It looks great. Where would we start? Uh, you know, on that journey of being able to, you know, leverage all that all that greatness that Kafka could bring. 
Yeah, so, so that's a great question. And actually, it's really even in my slides when I present to customers, <laughs> it's really a journey because um, you can start pretty easily. You can download um, one of the solutions and install it on your laptop locally and process continuously data from test sensor data in real time and, mm -hmm. and use um, some SQL commands to continuously process it and integrate with systems. But um, a really big challenge, of course, is to run this and mission critical. And that's what, what makes it for me so interesting in industrial IoT because here, um, when you have the production lines, for example, this has to run. 24-7 and every outage um, costs a lot of money mm -hmm. and therefore um, it's really the great thing about Kafka is um, and that it was true for the tech companies where they build it but it's now true also in industrial IoT it's built really to run 24-7 so um, there is some paradigms like um, active passive or a maintenance for um, doing an upgrade that's things which do not exist in Kafka so Kafka is built for running 24-7 mm -hmm. even if nodes are down or networks are down so that's the great thing what it brings out of the box Having said that, um, of course, um, it's therefore a little bit more complex to run it. So if you download Apache Kafka open source and, and only deploy that on some servers and want to operate it by yourself, um, then you really need to know what you do. And that's actually also where we as a software vendor come into play because Confluent, the company I work behind, mm -hmm. um, behind Kafka, that's really where then we get these operations tools and the automation tools so that this can run mission critical um, in the factory. So that's where we have tools for that. Or even better in the cloud, because there then you can use a fully managed service where you really only focus on building your new use cases in your applications, but don't have to focus on the server side, which is like a serverless consumption-based pricing model. And with this, um, you typically don't want to worry about um, operating Kafka, but you want to use and leverage it. And this is in the end where, where we typically help customers so that they can really focus on their use cases instead. And I think this is one of the, 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 the big and most important parts to get it running, especially in these 24-7 deployments. Right. Okay, cool. So um, so there's options then for people that, uh, that, that, that need to have, there's, there's tooling that's on top of it uh, that's going to help um, be able to manage a production system uh, that, that's critical in nature. And I think, I think that is a, you know, one of the super awesome things about Kafka, what it does is it's, is it's, you know, it's ability to replicate across multiple servers. And so you have a, you know, a, it, you know, you have a situation where it's very reliable and it can be scaled. So if you have a lot of, a lot of data coming in and then, um, and you're just talking about the flexibility around it too. So, so it, it, you know, it definitely, um, seems to, you know, sound, sound really great. So what about, you know, what, what about the, uh, what about connecting all this stuff at the plant floor into a Kafka system? Are you seeing any kind of, uh, you know, standard ways that that's happening? Because, you know, we met, we know there's like all these different protocols with PLCs and, you know, all these different vendors have their own thing, you know, uh, Siemens, uh, Emerson, Snyder, Rockwell, uh, on and on, they all have their, uh, and then there's, and there's OPC, Modbus, those types of things. So, uh, are you, is there, is, you know, how, how are people handling that? Because, because you still have to get, you know, you still, because talk, uh, Kafka is basically like a, a, a subscriber publisher type of scenario. So you, you know, you, you're going to publish this data into these topics. Um, what, what, how is that being handled? Um, yeah, so first of all, um, we see everything what you just said about the protocols and standards and in the real world, um, and we are talking really also to the global vendors like the automotive companies, which have factories across the world. Mm -hmm. And um, even if you talk to one customer, of course, they have um, different technologies in every different factory. So everything is different, different data formats, different yeah, databases. 
<laughs> and yeah, and so you need to integrate everything. And of course, in the best case, and that's for example, if you build a new factory today, like um, um, in Germany, Tesla is building a new factory in Berlin, for example, these mm -hmm. days. I don't know the details about that factory, but in general, if you build now a new greenfield factory um, or at new machines, then typically they are based on more open standards like OPC UA or MQTT. Um, this obviously makes it much, much easier because then you have um, out of the box connectors, which we provide for these um, standards. That's the same like we have connectors for the other side, for the modern world, like big data analytics, like a CRM, like ERP systems, mm -hmm. um, they all connect natively with Kafka. So that, that's pretty easy then. But on the other side, unfortunately, the real world in industrial IoT is brownfield. And so we see a lot of these legacy applications, um, which are often proprietary, and um, there is no open protocol to speak to that. And actually, then there you have different options. Um, there is actually also another open source framework, which was built um, by several companies out of Germany to connect directly to PLCs. Mm -hmm. So like to, to the Siemens S7 or to Modbus and so on. So that's also possible. In most cases, however, then um, depending on the technologies you need to integrate with, you also use an um, IoT gateway in the middle between Kafka and the last mile, um, which is then the devices and PLCs and so on. So that's typically um, how it is deployed. And, and as I said before, it's a journey anyway. So do, you do it step by step. Um, and that's true for both for the edge where you connect to the machines and to the MES system and also to the cloud where you mm -hmm. do more the big data analytics or connect to the new modern ERP or MES system. And that's therefore um, really um, a step-by-step -step approach. And the last thing which is important to understand, however, is um, because you described Kafka as a publish and subscribe system, which is true, it's an, a, an event streaming platform, which means that um, you can send data um, from A to B and C in real time. Um, but it's also a storage system, so it also de really decouples the different interfaces from each other. And the big important thing here is that in the real world, not everything is real time. So, of course, yes, you can integrate with any sensor system, which continuously produces data, and you can also send Beggar command in real time, but that's actually the good case. Um, and the, the bad case is that many systems are not real-time messaging interfaces. Right. They have, for example, a file-based system on a Windows server, right? Because they don't speak any other language and they are 20 years old. And therefore, with Kafka in the middle, you cannot only integrate to real-time sensors, but you can also integrate to batch systems, to files, directly to databases, um, and all these kind of things. And you can also provide an interface like HTTP so that the manager takes a look on his mobile app via request-response communication to Kafka. And that's really what makes the big difference to all these other traditional integration systems, um, which couldn't really handle that same thing, um, at least not on scale in real time like Kafka does it. And that's really the big benefit of using Kafka here. Yeah, that that you hit, you hit right on the point of what really got me excited about about this is that, uh, you know, because I, I, you know, thinking about event streaming and, you know, these different uh, messaging systems, it's kind of like, okay, well, what's what makes, you know, Kafka different than the rest? And, um, you know, we're, we're just, you know, picking data up here and we're sending it over there. Um, but it really isn't that at all. It, it, this, uh, in you know, with um, with OSI Soft Pi, which is which is my background. You know, one of the um, one of the things that they have is they have this. They call it a buffering subsystem, and so basically they can ingest this data at 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 high vo high volumes and high rates, and then um, and they can hold it there until they can basically get it into the database because the database may not be available. Or there may be, you know, the, the data just can come in in, um, you know, in various rates. It's not, it's not necessarily a, a, a smooth thing when, when all your data is like, you know, uh, it can be very variable a lot. And then, like you said, on the other side, okay, what about uh, pulling the data out? Uh, you know, if, if, if it's a messaging system and you have just a pipe, you know, whatever's on the other end needs to be there and ready to take it 
when you send it in. And, uh, and so that's, that, that's what was, um, impressive. It's like, to me, Kafka is like the storage part of it, this giant buffering system. So it's holding all these, you know, all these events in here, they're in order, they're immutable. So once it's in there, it's just like this log, right? You're not going to go back and change your logs. Uh, and, and so all the, the, the whole records there, and then you can go start searching on that, pulling the data out, using it however you need to consuming it, uh, however you need to on the other end, which is, which is, which, which also is interesting. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about, okay, what are, you know, what are these systems that connect to Kafka? What are people doing with the data? Okay. Now that it's in, in like, uh, you know, you could think of Kafka as like its own database, right? Um, this, uh, all this, all these logs. So how are, so, so what, what typically happens once, uh, once you have it there, either, either it's on the edge or it's in the cloud, where, where are people going with it next? Is there, do you yeah. see any trends or, or any common yeah, things that happen? I, absolutely. I, I did. And that's the funny thing that the interesting trend is that um, often Kafka start building one pipeline first for one specific use case, like I'm getting all data into the cloud for doing some reporting analytics to know what the, the machines do under the hood. But then they use it for more and more use cases. Some are real time, some are batch, some are request response. And that's really um, why Kafka works here so well. So you already explained, so um, Kafka with the storage system, it's also handling the back pressure because not all systems, especially older systems, cannot handle the pressure of all the sensors, right? Mm -hmm. And sensors don't stop producing even just because the database is down, they continuously to continuously. Yeah, the, still yeah those uh, the factories keep making stuff. The temperatures keep, you know, values keep getting exactly. produced, and uh, you know that data is going to go somewhere. <laughs> and, and that's where Kafka handles the spec pressure on the one side. If a, if a consumer is not ready for that kind of data, some have to consume it in batch because they were built for that, for example. Or I mean, the cloud some workloads only run overnight because it's much cheaper then. And um, therefore, we see different um, de de deployment um, use cases here. But in general, the great thing is. When you get the data in Kafka once in real time, um, one consumer can consume it in real time, the next one in near real time, and another one maybe 10 days later because he wants to analyze all data. So um, they're the really um, key game changer from an architecture in, in addition, in contrary to other systems is that you can in the end build one pipeline for both the real time and the batch processing. And I give you one specific example so that you understand it well. Um, if, if you talk about machine learning and analytics, then typically um, it's always about two different things. First, you have to ingest a lot of historical um, sensor data somewhere so that you can analyze the data um, and train an analytic model with that, um, with um, some algorithms like with clustering, or with um, deep learning. Mm -hmm. And that's always the first part. You take gigabytes or terabytes of data to find insights and patterns, for example, for predictive maintenance. Why did the machine break? And that's the first part. You find the insights there. Um, but then the second part is you need to use these insights. And that's where then the yeah. customers often struggle. They first ingest everything into a data lake in the cloud, but then they ask, well, okay, now I know what's the problem. How do I deploy that? And that's exactly what you can do both with Kafka because you can build one single pipeline where you have a Kafka at the edge for pre-processing the data and then replicating to the cloud. And then maybe you even aggregate the data from different factories to find these insights and, and problems like, um, why is the vibration of this sensor higher in my factory in China compared to the one in Germany? Because there's the setup is the same. And then when you have these insights, 
And then you can use these insights like an analytic model or maybe just a business rule and deploy this logic directly at the edge for real-time analytics. And the great thing here is you still have just one pipeline with Kafka and apply it for many different use cases. Some are very critical and mm -hmm. therefore you really use them in the factory. And that's also a big point because in the meantime, I mean, it's not just coming from the cloud providers, but in general, many software vendors want to tell you, hey, get everything in the cloud and our software as a service will help you there. However, reality is in, in, in industrial IoT, um, the sensors and the more modern you are, the more data you have. And um, it, it simply doesn't make sense to replicate all the data from all the sensors to the cloud. Um, we're typically talking then about terabytes and more here per day. And um, there is two big problems with that. The first one is cost. It costs you a lot of money to ingest all the data into the mm -hmm. cloud. And the second one is latency. Um, if you just ingest the data of analytics, then it's okay in the cloud. But if you want to have more of these applications like a real-time predictive maintenance system or mm -hmm. real-time quality assurance and yield management, um, then you have to apply this logic at the edge to act in milliseconds. And, and these are the two reasons why typically we see the hybrid scenarios. And mm -hmm. so typically it is like um, at the edge, you already pre-process and pre-filter the data and only ingest into the cloud what's really needed there. Um, but the other processing happens at the edge. And then um, for some of the data in Kafka, you can always specify retention time. And for some log information, you maybe just keep it in Kafka for two hours or for four hours because you just process it once mm -hmm. and you have some back pressure there. But for some other data, like for example, for um, transactional data, like when you also integrate with the systems from your partners, when you want to do other things like with an MES system or ERP system, um, that's more transactional data. So that's stored um, a week or a year or forever in Kafka, depending on your architecture and your integrated systems. And the other great thing here with this um, overall pipeline between Edge and, and, and the cloud is that you can also make these decisions um, based on a Kafka topic, which means on each specific project or business logic, you can decide how long to store the data in Kafka. For some log data, it's just a few hours. For your most mission critical business transactional data, you keep it for years or forever in, in Kafka or another database. <laughs> yeah, that 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 last part about keeping the data, um, the transactional data indefinitely was something, it seemed like that's something relatively new um, with Kafka. And uh, and yeah, I, 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 I've been thinking about that for, for a little bit here when I first heard that, because I just heard this last week. And, and I'm like, yeah, well, why not, right? It's like, uh, you know, uh, if, if it can, if it can do it, and it can handle this, you know, I think I think somebody mentioned. Uh, I saw it on one of the one of the slides somewhere. It's like a database turned inside out. Kafka is. It's like you know where if you think about like a SQL database transaction, typically used in transactions, right? Uh, when you when you get down to the what's what actually where the data is stored in a file in a SQL database, it's like a commit log, right? And there's all these commits, and they're they're trying to you know um, handle any uh, concurrency issues and stuff like that, and so. And so Kafka is like, uh, is that, you know, at the, at the, at its heart too. Right. So they're, they're really the same thing, but we're kind of like, we're approaching it from, uh, the, the other direction, I guess, you know, so we're really just like, okay, saying, and, and so it makes perfect sense that it could become a SQL database or it can become a transactional database of some sort. And I know there's capabilities to do even SQL queries on, uh, on top of Kafka. So if you need to get to the data, which you really haven't talked about, like how, how that actually happens, but I know you can like query on it. Um, you know, and topics are, I think the, uh, if I remember right, 
correct me if I'm wrong because I'm just learning this stuff, but topics are are kind of like analogous to tables in a SQL database, right? They can be, you can you can create them like that and you can almost have it behave, you know, the data can be coming in, however, but then it can behave when you're when you're uh, trying to um, consume that data, it can behave like a like a a typical like SQL querying SQL database in a way. So that's pretty wild. <laughs> yes, um, I mean here now also we have to really clarify, and it's important to understand in the end what Kafka is and also what it is not, right? So yeah. um, actually, I wrote another blog post. Maybe you can link that in the podcast. Um, yeah. Because I wrote a blog post because this question comes up all the time. Can Kafka replace another database? Right. This right. is a common question, and there is a long answer to that. And <laughs> it's and because it really, um, like so often in IT, it depends. So um, um, first of all, um, we see more and more use cases where you don't need another database, like a SQL server or like a NoSQL database or data lake. Mm -hmm. um, because in Kafka, you can store data forever. You simply um, configure the retention time for a specific topic to a year or even minus one, which means forever. And also, um, from a storage perspective, in the meantime, um, today in 2020, this is not a problem anymore because um, today I'm um, with Confluent Platform and also with the open source Kafka, what we are at, what's being added there, um, it's a so-called tiered storage, so that you don't store everything to the local attached disk, but in a remote object store, which is much cheaper and where you can really also store petabytes of data, okay. no matter if it's in the factory or in the cloud. Um, but the big point is really you can store data there for long term and you can also reprocess the data. And now um, the great benefit of using Kafka here is that um, even if you have um, historical data for the last years, it's all an event-based commit log, which means you append data only. You cannot change it anymore. And then when you come back a year later and want to analyze old data, then you can consume old data. So you can, for example, say, um, I want to want to build a new um, digital twin or I want to build a new analytic model based on my historical data for a specific scenario. Mm -hmm. So give me all the data for this machine from um, January 2019 to consume all these events in the same order with timestamps. And then you can correlate that. So that's in the end um, what data scientists do and what analytics people do to find insights right. about what's the difference. Also about historical data, because sometimes um, today, you don't know that um, there will be a problem, but a year later or a month later, you will find out, hey, there was a problem, let's um, um, analyze it. So um, this is definitely possible and used a lot. And, and this is, again, a great advantage that Kafka on the one side, you can have um, a real-time consumer, like an alerting system, which alerts you about a maintenance problem, um, maybe even by an, applying an analytic model to that in real time. But on the other side, you are also ready to also consume the old data from Kafka in an event-based order. So that's definitely what you can do with it. Having said that, um, Kafka is not an, every other database, right? So you cannot um, do everything what you can do with other databases. Mm -hmm. And here you have to really specifically take a look at your problem. So there are some kind of capabilities how to you are able to consume the data. Like, um, for example, you have a time frame of events you want to consume, or you have a specific state of a specific customer where you want to query the actual status of what, what it is. But what you cannot do with just Kafka is um, you, you don't have a full ANSI SQL interface out of the box. So this means um, if you just want to get um, one specific transaction for one specific machine from at a specific time, and that's not what Kafka is for. Because in Kafka, um, you cannot simply query a specific event like with a very complex join query. Right. right. Okay. This is in the end where then um, you st we still say that you have this uh, this materialized view and where we turn database inside out and and this is really an important um, um concept to explain again because. I mean, it really doesn't matter if you come from the OT world and where you talk about your um, favorite data historian. Um, all of these data historians, um, often proprietary, they have a database under the hood. Um, mm -hmm. And so um, all the sensor data might be processed in real time at the beginning, but then you store it in a database and then it's right. stored at rest. And 
That's true for a data historian, but that's also true for any business application where you have a Java application and have an Oracle database under the hood or a NoSQL. The main principle here is that you ingest the data into the database and it's, then it's there. And then someone else has to query it again to, to get an information. This can be either a direct SQL interface or this can be a web service or this can be a UI from a mobile app. Mm -hmm. But it's always the principle of having the data at rest. And then later you take it again to process it. And this is what, what I really like to term the too late architecture um, for many use cases, because um, after the machine is broken, it doesn't help if you um, analyze the old data. Just to give you one example, or um, in cybersecurity, um, mm -hmm. if, the, uh, if the attack already happened, it's too late to find it out overnight in the batch process. Um, or in the supply chain, um, you need a real-time inventory. And this is really where Kafka changes the game, because you continuously process the events while they are happening, and so this is not just stateless information, but you also keep state in there. Like in the inventory, in the supply chain system, you always know the up-to-date um, um, inventory. And, and mm -hmm. you can also query that again, right? But it's continuously processed. And based on that, then, um, still you can build your materialized view, which could be another Oracle database where you want to do your ANSI SQL queries for a report from a management perspective. And this is really how, how Kafka is, is changing this, how you implement this. And this, by the way, also is one of these challenges. It's not the technical challenge because the, the funny thing is we don't see many POCs or pilots about does Kafka really scale well? That's what people do not worry about. Right. And I mean, no. that, that's battle tested at all the Silicon Valley <laughs> companies. And in the meantime, also at the traditional companies like the banks and telcos. And just to give you a number here, so um, we have many confluent customers which process 10 gigabyte and more per second with one single Kafka cluster, right? So you can nice. process high volumes of data in real time. Mm -hmm. That's not a problem. And also um, mission critical deployment, that's what we do every day at Confluent with our customers. That's mm -hmm. our core business model. Um, but then um, really implementing that for your use cases, um, that where typically where um, we have to get a few of our experts in to explain the new paradigms because it's not that you first store it in a database and then you keep it there at rest and wait until someone consumes it. But no, instead of that, you continuously process the data, which is um, which has the term um, stream processing or event streaming. And that's really the key difference. Yeah, and that and that is uh, and that that is in generally speaking in IIoT and IoT either way, uh, but IoT specifically since that's what we're we're talking about is this whole uh, event streaming. And events, timestamps, all the time series data, however you want to term it, that is our world. And and typically, when when you start looking at what people are doing with data and how they're handling data, they're not talking about that kind of data. They're talking about you know, it could be you know some kind of financial data for business or sales information or customer information. So so the nature of that data is is different, and the way that you approach some of these standard problems tends to be different. And I think that's what's that's what's kind of cool about Kafka is it's like it's like that's native. You know, it's it's just the way it works. So you're not really like trying to fight that. Like if you've ever ever tried to use a SQL database to store time series data or um, event event streaming data like that, it, it's it, it becomes kind of weird to you're always making this um, you always have to kind of like uh, do extra work, I guess. Um, so hey, I wanted I wanted to shift a little bit. We're we're talking about maybe sharing some examples of how people are using um, Kafka in, you know, the real world uh, in, in 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 companies that you've worked with. You know, can can you maybe share um, a success or two that that you've seen where where this has been put to put to use and 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 something cool is happening? 
Yeah, absolutely. Maybe first, um, let me give you a one minute overview about the, the high level spectrum of use case so that okay. you really understand that Kafka is used a lot. And then we can talk um, a little bit deeper about some of the use cases. Um, but really on a high level, um, we see it. And that's the interesting thing about Kafka because it's an open generic solution, not a specific problem. Mm -hmm. um, we see it for use cases like um, track and trace in the factory or where you do plant logistics and production control. On the other side, um, it's also much more close to the production line and assembly line with things like and predictive maintenance or quality assurance or yield management, where you want to reduce the costs um, by, by um, scrapping parts early, for example. Um, then another part where we see a lot is supply chain management, because supply chain management um, should be um, in real time, like the inventory. Um, but also, for example, integration with the systems from the partners, right? So it's not mm -hmm. just about your factory, but also how you connect to your um, tier one and tier two partners and so on. Um, a completely different case of use case um, is cybersecurity, um, which is so huge in the meantime in factories. I mean, in the past, factories were not connected to the other world, right? But um, today, if you want to do industry 4.0, then you have to do something. But then on the other side, then you have to worry about cybersecurity. And this is in the end. Again, real-time processing of events um, so that you can detect issues when something happens. And um, besides all of that, um, there is also um, very modern use cases. Like um, we see customers using Kafka in combination with um, addictive manufacturing, like 3D printing or with augmented reality. So that's still um, it's specific solutions for that. So that's not what Kafka is doing, right? So mm -hmm. that's where you use some augmented reality technology and product. But um, still, you always have these kind of events and data sources and data things. Um, and you need to process the data, some batch, some real time, many different interfaces and technologies. You need the back pressure in the middle and all these things. And therefore, this was just now a one minute overview that you see. Um, we see so many kind of different use cases where Kafka is used. Okay, so that's uh, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Definitely uh, a lot of a lot of different places is being applied, and and it it makes sense, right? It's a it's a super flexible type of uh, uh, platform that can be you know that can move data around, and 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 basically you can consume it in these different ways. So so what's the so so what's the trend looking like? What are what are um, what, what's man, what's happening in manufacturing industrial areas? Are you seeing certain sectors or any 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 you know um, different industries that that are adopting uh, using Kafka and you know you know how are they how are they what are they I guess maybe a good thing is where are they starting with it if 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 they're starting out if somebody's if if you're a you know, a, a big company, and you're saying, "Wow, this Kafka sounds pretty cool. I want, I want my people to start looking at it." Uh, you know, I, you know, who's who, who's who in a company would start checking it out, and then, then what would they be trying to do, kind of in the beginning? Yeah. So, so that that's a good question. I also can give you an example here. But in general, what I saw in the last, I work now for Confluent and event streaming of Kafka for five years or so. Mm -hmm. Yes, and um, I, I think really in the in the industrial IoT, um, the first um, companies which came to us were the automotive companies, so the, the really the OEMs, mm -hmm. um, because actually um, they, they have had the most market pressure because they directly talk to the customer, right? So and the customers right. have their, their um, smartphones and they have a modern communication. And they're complaining, complaining first, hey, give me this or I buy, buy another car or something like that. So the customer experience is very important there. And therefore, 
Um, it's not not just about the manufacturing at the factory, but really also about the, these hybrid stories where you have after sales and aftermarket, and where you also then directly communicate with the customer about things like um, predictive maintenance um, in the car, where you can then send an alert to send the driver to the repair shop, um, or to do things like cross-selling. And there is the craziest use cases, like um, when you're driving on a German autobahn, and then um, because of the loyalty system of the automotive company, they know um, what restaurants you like and where you're stopping. And often then they also even have a partnership with some restaurants. And then when you're driving on the autobahn and it's lunchtime, then you get an alert in your car. Hey, dear customer, um, if you want to go to this next um, burger shop, um, then you get 20% coupon and, and this kind of data correlation, right? But, but this, is, right. this is really the reality and there's a long list of use cases. And um, so to give you one specific example here, um, one of the first customers we did this in Germany is Audi. Um, so what Audi did, they built a connected car infrastructure with us, um, which is already live um, um, for, I think, two years or so now. Mm-hmm. And this is really about end to end data integration in the end from the cars where you ingest the data in real time, in their case, into the cloud um, so that you can do real time analytics on that. And um, th- this is really a good example of the common pipeline most customers do. And that's no matter if it's more like in this example, um, a customer experience use case, or then also for manufacturing where you build like a predictive maintenance pipeline. Um, in most cases, um, today customers don't know what their machines do. They have no status updates, no sensor integration, nothing. Right. And therefore the first thing always is to get this connection. So the first thing is connect to the PLCs or connect to the IoT gateways, mm-hmm. get the sensor data out and then get it into either a data center or the cloud, often from different factories to analyze and aggregate the data. So really the first use case often is um, very simple, just data ingestion and data processing to ingest it into your reporting tool. Um, still, it has already to run 24-7 typically because it's really critical data, but that's typically the, the getting started of the pipeline. But then um, when you have this pipeline ready, uh-huh. for example, um, building some reports in a the cloud, um, then you also leverage machine learning technology to find better insights about what's the problem in the factory. And then um, you can start with the second part, which is really using these insights in the factory, for example, to applying machine learning in real time at the edge, um, where you really apply an analytic model to each single event from every sensor. And this is then millions of events per second in the big deployments. But that has to happen at the edge 24-7 with very low latency in milliseconds. And so that's then the second step. And then after that, um, also what we see a lot is then where customers over time simply um, replace existing proprietary monoliths. And this is true both for the um, for the for the for the machines where they if you install a new machine um, you have OPC UA or MQTT interface instead of something proprietary. Uh-huh. But the funniest thing is this is also for all these other systems you know in industrial IoT. So um, if you have any kind of data historians or if you have an MES system or ERP system or a CRM system, and no matter if it's um, proprietary and running in the cloud uh, and running on premise, or uh-huh. maybe you uh, install use something software as a service in the cloud. Um, you, you, you might be surprised, but many of these systems also use Kafka in the meantime, or at least they are working on the next generation of their system. Um, because um, from this perspective, the ERP system or the MES system has exactly the same challenge as you as an end customer. You need to process more and more data in a, at right. scale in time. So they have exactly the same challenges, right? Yeah. And, and that's the funniest thing. So in the meantime, we are also working with many MES and ERP vendors because they are building the next generation system um, so that they can also use Kafka under the hood so that they can internally process the data at scale in real time too. That's pretty awesome because uh, 
yeah, if, if, if other parts of the company are using the same platform, you know, it's super easy then to get together and start working on, you know, so if you're, if you're mashing the data together, you know, you're, you're combining these different data sources to, to get kind of like better context and, and insights around what's going on. You know, it's, it's pretty exciting. So, you know, we're probably going to wrap up here pretty quickly, but, uh, you know, I'd like to just get your general thoughts on, you know, where do you, where do you think this is going for, you know, industrial IOT? Industrial IOT is typically really slow adopting technology. And there's still, to me, there's a lot of uh, vendor vertical type of solutions where you, you kind of have to get with a vendor and they, they provide, you know, A through Z, uh, user solution. Um, you can name them. They they all seem to be trying to put put together complete solutions, and that that's kind of counter to this open source things like Kafka. Um, you know, where do you, I mean? How do you, you know, being on the open source and the, or the Kafka side of it? You know, where do, where do you feel like you know industrial IoT is going with this? How long is it going to take? Uh, is is this something that's going to be you know mostly prevalent in the future versus uh, you know these other these other ways of doing it? I mean, what's your it's just like your opinion on, on how you think the world's gonna, uh, you know, take on this technology and, and how 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 quickly is it coming? I guess I, I'm curious on that because I'm, you know, once I saw it, I'm like I, I kind of want to use it right away, but I don't know, you know, is this something that's going to be actually adopted, uh, you know, so, so, widespread? So that, that, that's also a very good question. I mean, as I said, so I worked with um, Confluent now for around four years, mm-hmm. and um, actually, as you said, so industrial IoT that's typically very slow. Um, one of yeah. the reasons is machines run for 30 years, right? So you All don't right. um, buy a new machine every year and therefore it's slower. Um, but definitely the clear trend I see and no matter which industry here um, is that um, the people or the companies are forced to innovate or they're going away. I mean, I, in Corona now it got even worse, right? But yeah. um, we see that they have to innovate and they have to be more data-driven. And this is also, if you read the trends from McKinsey and all these reports, um, just manufacturing the car or the other tangible thing, that's not where you make the money in the future and how you survive. Um, you will be successful if you build digital services on top of that. And that's what every vendor, no matter if you are an OEM or if you're on tier one or tier two supplier, um, that's what you have to do. And that's where these digital twins and all these concepts mm-hmm. come into where Kafka is then often under the hood. But the, really the trend is that everybody knows either you do something now or you will not survive because there is companies which do this already, like Tesla, which is very modern. And they're, mm-hmm. by the way, also very heavy Kafka user under the hood, um, but also the, the cloud providers and so on. And therefore, you have to change. And um, this is really happening now in every company. But um, as you said, um, it's really for most of them early stage. So um, I talked about the, the journey typically these customers do with us. Yeah. And most of these companies are today in the very early phase. This okay. means um, yeah. in some cases, they understood that they need to change, but they are just evaluate, evaluating what is Kafka, what is cloud providers, and so on on that level. Mm-hmm. Some others are one step further. They tried out Kafka a little bit. That's a great thing about open source. You can try it out by yourself first. Um, mm-hmm. But then when you want to get serious to work together with a vendor. But I would say that um, 80% of companies I work with, um, either they're customers or prospects, but um, they are in very early stage of this. But all of them know they have to do this and they will do this. I'm pretty sure um, the companies will not do this shift away from um, legacy and proprietary and not scalable protocols and not going to these open and scalable cloud native models. Um, they will probably not survive in, survive in most cases. That's that's my personal opinion. And yeah. I'm pretty sure right here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, that's great. Uh, Kai, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show today. And, um, so for those that, uh, that would like to find you, get a hold of you, um, is, do you have some contact information that, um, you want to share? 
Yeah, sure. And maybe we can also post it to your to podcast LinkedIn, yeah. but um, feel free to connect to me on LinkedIn and okay. Twitter. So on LinkedIn, I'm also posting new updates about the stuff all the time. And of course, also I have my private blog at um, kai-wainer.de, which is probably also posted in the podcast, yeah, but that's where you can find a lot of these posts about Kafka and IoT. I have a, a lot of blog posts about how to build digital twins and data historians and how to apply analytics and machine learning and so on. But also important, um, for example, how to integrate with ERP and MES systems like SAP. That's also a question I get every week. Yeah, I, yeah, I hear that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Therefore, I have, a, I have a lot of content on my blog, so you might take a look there and find out the details and, and reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm also happy to discuss with you or connect you to other um, of our people to help you with your project. So I'm happy to do that. Yeah, well, um, yeah, this has been a great, this has been a great, uh, great talk. Um, I'm super excited about, about the possibilities around Kafka and, and, and just the whole, the whole kind of like thinking about the future of what these, what, you know, industry 4.0, uh, industrial internet of things, how, where we're going to go and, uh, you know, and just seeing how, how effective the, when it's applied, you know, like when Kafka is applied correctly, what happens? And it's just amazing the, um, the capabilities around, around the system and, and the, the technology. So super, super interesting stuff. Um, yeah. So, uh, thanks again for being on the show and, uh, okay. Uh, everybody that's it for today. I'm Lonnie Bowling and I hope you join me again next time on the Time Lords podcast. Okay. Thank you. Goodbye.